Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on the podcast, we have a conversation with Dr. Trimper Longman on his work on Genesis. So Scott, we are going uh, through this story of God commentary series, and for the story of God, we're starting at the very beginning today, aren't we? Yeah, we're we're doing something that I'm uncomfortable with. We're looking at the Old Testament. <laughs> yeah, the 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 deep roots of the kingdom, I guess uh, you could say. But this is this is you're right, right, uncharted territory. Not to, not. Totally uncharted territory, but as a yeah. New Testament scholar, got some um, some guidance and some backup here with Dr. Longman, right? Yeah, Tremper is with us. Uh, Tremper is famous for his well. Tremper has written a lot of books, and uh, he's written. I, I think I have all his major commentaries, if not all of them, and every one of them that I've used, I've thought this is this is really readable, accessible, and helpful for pastors. So we're we're I was really glad when I heard not only that he was going to be the general editor for the Old Testament series, but also that he was going to do Genesis because I knew that Tremper knows the issues that are involved in uh, bringing Genesis into the world of the church today. So Tremper, uh, we're really glad to have you with us. And um, I want to start with a simple question, but you can say what you want at the beginning, but uh, how do Old Testament scholars and commentary writers deal with such big books? <laughs> well, first of all, great to be with you, Scott. Uh, and um, yeah, I mean, I uh, they are big books, especially compared to your very small books in the New Testament. And that's one of the reasons why I went into the Old Testament. It was short. I, the New Testament was too short, and too many people <laughs> like you who are very smart were going into it. So I decided, I go in the Old Testament where, where it's longer and I have more room to work. But uh, yeah, no, it's very hard with a book like Genesis, which is so rich, especially in the story of God commentary series, where, as you know, we're not only talking about the original meaning, but also about... Um, continuing significance for today and the background for this Old Testament text. But what's good about it is it really requires you to focus in on what's important and you don't go down a lot of different rabbit trails. And um, while, while considering different perspectives, you don't have to look at uh, every different viewpoint on a topic and there's a place and I've written those type of commentaries and they're good but for a for a commentary that's written particularly with pastors in mind you want to really focus in on the important theological message of the book well and you do that very well but you've always been able to do this even in your more technical commentaries say uh on ecclesiastes or song of solomon i think i got those right uh you did you did yes. those were a couple of my first commentaries in the nightcott series and yeah. uh yeah i i i just i don't know whether it comes naturally or whatever but i do try to be 
concise and to the point and hopefully clear and also, you know, talk about what's really important whenever I'm, whenever I'm writing in any, in any of the, uh, you know, I, I tend to think of three different audiences that overlap. That is sometimes I'm writing for scholars. Sometimes I'm writing for pastors and seminary students. And sometimes I'm writing for lay people and, uh, and they all have their joys and difficulties uh, as audiences. But, um, and as I say, they overlap for sure. But uh, I try to keep that in mind when I'm writing as well. But, you know, uh, like your new book on wisdom, Tremper, it's, it's not simply that you know the academic discussions. And you do know those. And you've interacted with that literature in the footnotes, et cetera. And even at times in the text, you have a, a keen sense of what matters on that topic and to let what matters shape the whole section. And that's, that's what I like so much about that uh, study on wisdom. But we're, we're looking at Genesis and um, there's some big questions that come up every time Genesis comes up in my world. And I'm sure it comes up with you every time you tell somebody I've written a commentary on Genesis they're they're right. gonna they're gonna say talk to us about creation Genesis one and two, and science. So Tremper, yeah. say a few things. What 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 do you have to tell us about that? Yeah, um, I've actually devoted a lot of attention to the topic of Genesis one to eleven and relationship to science, which, as you say, is a controversial topic in our evangelical Protestant circles. Um, and uh, indeed, my next book, which is coming out in the late fall, is called Wrestling with the Old Testament, Confronting the Pressing Issues of Evolution, Divine Violence, History, and Sexuality. Whoa. And there I'll give a fuller explanation of my view on this. But I also, of course, talk about it in my Genesis commentary. And, and, and to be somewhat brief about it, my view is that Genesis 1 to 11 is talking about uh, actual events, but is describing those actual events using what uh, I think most fair readers would strike them as obviously figurative language. Um, and therefore, while Genesis 1 to 11 tells us a lot about, um, but tells us a lot about God, about ourselves, and especially that God created everything, including human beings. It's not interested in telling us how he did it, and therefore that allows us to turn to science and and see what we can see in other in God's other book, the book of nature. Um, because my feeling is when the Bible is interpreted correctly and when nature is interpreted correctly, of course, they're not going to conflict with each other. So, um, so, so that's why in, in my Genesis commentary, um, I, I present uh, the view, not in great detail as I do in my forthcoming book, uh, why one can be an evolutionary creationist um, and hold to the truthfulness of Genesis as it was intended to be read 
Um, so, um, so yeah, so that's, that's in a very broad strokes uh, what I say there. Well, I should say because in one review which came out, it was misread as if I denied a historical fall or any concept of original sin. I think the person probably read too quickly uh, because, again, I think Genesis 3 describes an actual event, but just doesn't use, you know, is, is using figurative language to describe a rebellion against God. And as Paul says, uh, you know, uh, introduce sin and death into the world. Uh, but, but I think that such a view, uh, while not, not abrogating uh, the doctrine of original sin, does tell us that, that Adam's sin doesn't affect us through our genetic uh, relationship to, to, to an original couple. Uh, and you've written so yeah. well about that. Uh, so, uh, and I love your book on that topic, as you know. <laughs> well, you helped me. You, uh, Adam you and the human some, genome. You corrected some of my mistakes on this. Well, uh, uh, Trevor, you bring up uh, the issue of Genesis 1 through 11 in history. The other issue that comes up all the time in the same context is the flood. And I know that yeah. you, with uh, John Walton, have recently written a book on the flood and that uh, yeah. in the lost world of the flood in John's lost books. Uh, and sometimes yeah. I get them lost in my library, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. but um, yeah. that's another one of those events. Uh, and in, in particular, you know, we're uh, today uh, uh, our, uh, my co-blogger RJS has talked about it being uh, not global, but local. And I wonder if you could use that uh, idea and I don't know if that was you or John, use that idea to help us understand what history means in Genesis 1 through 11, or just your observations sure. about the flood. Yeah, yeah, it was um, great working with John on that topic, and um, and this is the second book that we collaborated on. We did an earlier book in my franchise series, <laughs> How to Read Job, but he yeah. did the main work on that one, so it's Walton Longman, and I'm I was I'm the one who happily convinced him to write the book on the flood because every time we went out and talked about Genesis one through three, the next question is what about the flood? It's a good question oh. because, again, in my opinion, Genesis one to eleven is talking about real events, but it's describing those real events in figurative language in order to make important theological points in order to communicate an important theological message. So our view isn't quite the local flood theory, um, because first of all, we think that Genesis 6 through 9 describes a worldwide flood. But on the other hand, science is very convincing that there never was a worldwide flood. And um, and if you read Genesis 6 through 9 carefully, you, we would read it as the original readers would have taken it, which is a figurative depiction of an actual event. And the figure, the primary figure used in Genesis 6 through 9 is hyperbole, you know, mm -hmm. you know, 
every thought of every person is sinful all the time. The waters rise up to an incredible level. The boat is of unbelievable proportions. Um, so our thinking is that, yeah, there was an event, uh, probably a particularly devastating regional flood that so imprinted itself on the human imagination that it became a vehicle for communicating theological truth um, in the Hebrew scriptures and with a much different theology, a wrong theology, say in the Gilgamesh epic, uh, the Babylonian, one of the, one of the versions of the Babylonian flood. And so that in a nutshell is our uh, approach to it. And of course we spell it out, uh, I think pretty carefully and hopefully clearly in that book, The Lost World of the Flood. You know, I, I blogged about, I, I listed the, I, I don't know, was it 20 some theses? That's how uh, yeah. John oh, yeah. organ. And uh, I yeah, listed right. them all. And you know, you, you sit there and you li and you read the list on its own, and it can be a pretty compelling argument. And that, I think, is exactly the genius of the Lost World uh, books. Now, when it comes to yeah. uh, Genesis, it is too easy for us to get lost in these debates about science and faith and history. And they are very yeah. important debates, but the theology of the book of Genesis is rich. Yeah. It is varied and it is fu fundamental or foundational to so much oh, yeah. of the Bible and Christianity. So I wonder if you could uh, say a few things about the covenant that God makes with Abraham. Sure. Of course, the covenant with Abraham is one of the fundamental episodes of the entire scriptures. It's the yeah. genesis or origins of the people of God. So, um, and I actually think even though the term's not used in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, that the covenant is made at that point when God tells Abram to leave his homeland and go down to the land that he will show them, and then uh, gives Abraham, of course, the promises, uh, which when broken out are a promise of land, descendants, and blessing, but not just a blessing on Abraham and his descendants, but through Abraham, uh, all the families, the nations of the world. So uh, and that's something, you know, um, uh, a lot of really good work has been done recently on the concept of election. Um, and, you know, a lot of people rebel against that idea because it, they think it's the idea of being chosen to special privilege. But it's really not. It's being chosen to be a vehicle for God's purposes in the interests of others that often leads to suffering as we <laughs> see the yeah, covenant yeah. You know, unfold in Genesis and beyond. So, um, yeah, so, so as I say, there's a lot of interesting work that I picked up on by Walter Moberly and others that, um, that I try to bring to people's attention on the concept of election. Well, you know, this is uh, this idea of election 
Uh, I think uh, Chris Wright is the one who said that they are elected for mission. Uh, yeah. So in other right. words, yeah. so it's not, and it is it is the case many times that the way people talk about election, it's privilege and it leads to arrogance and it leads to all kinds of goofy ideas that simply are not consistent with the way uh, people in the Bible behave, knowing that they have exactly. this election. So exactly. I, I exactly. really like how you've done it. Now, now here's here's one of my favorite questions of scholars of Genesis. Of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, which one of them is your favorite and why? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I think I could make a case for all for any of the four of them, but you know, I think Joseph's life story is so compelling uh, demonstrating the central idea that, you know, you, as, as he said to his brothers at the, after the death of his father, Jacob, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good for the saving of many lives. I mean, that, as you see that being, um, unfolding in Genesis 37 to 50. And then you see how that works out through, through many scriptures, including Acts 2, when Peter tells the assembled crowd, you, you know, nailed him to a cross, you crucified him, but God, through his, you know, God used that to save many. Um, and then you think about your own life, and you go through all kinds of difficulties, um, and, and sometimes the idea though that that god is using even these horrible things that are happening to me for good can be comforting even though unlike joseph we are often not let in on that mm -hmm. on that uh, ultimate purpose uh but i you know isaac has his appeal too partly because he plays such a passive role <laughs> in the yeah. narrative yeah but uh but but he's an interesting, of course, Jacob with his um, with his very complex character. Um, you, the God uses, I think it was Walter Brueggemann in his Genesis commentary who quoted First Corinthians about God using the weak things, the foolish things in reference to Jacob. Yeah. Uh, I think he really caught the spirit of Jacob. And of course, who can ignore Abraham as the father of of our faith and the Jewish faith and Islam, though we all you know, appropriate indifferently. <laughs> you know, for me, Abraham is almost untouchable and out yeah. there as so significant that it's hard to think of yourselves, um, it's hard to see myself in the life of Abraham. But when, when you yeah. read uh, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and Joseph, the, you know, all the uh, little escapades that he gets himself into and, uh, you know, tricking his brothers and all this. This this is, uh, Joseph takes on, uh, in some ways, more common features uh, in comparison to Abraham. So, but that's why I like to ask that question. Now, uh, here's another yeah. question yeah. I, uh, for Genesis people. Um, you know, when I was a gospel 
specialist, and all I was working on and writing on was synoptic gospels. Um, I would hear people talk about Paul, and I would say to myself, "You need to spend more time in the in the gospels. Uh, you would see other things." <laughs> yeah. And yeah, yeah. Uh, I would hear this all the time from the Pauline people. You know, you need to spend more time in Romans. Uh, and you would understand what the Gospels are all about, which I always thought was totally backwards. Uh, I thought, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't don't be telling Jesus to listen to Paul before he can talk. But <laughs> but uh, if you, what would you tell, uh, let's say, a New Testament professors, or even um, those who preach and focus mostly on the New Testament? What would you say that they're missing if they don't focus more or learn more from Genesis? Can you think of, you know, a, a couple themes or something you yeah. say? Yeah. 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 Well, let me start with maybe the unexpected, which is you'll be missing Jesus. <laughs> Remember that in Luke 24, Jesus said the whole Hebrew scriptures anticipated his coming. Um, and I just gave a talk at the Willard Center last week where I, the, on scripture and formation, it was about the Old Testament as a whole. I said, if you want to know Jesus better and learn how to live with him, read the Old Testament. Um, <laughs> now, <laughs> so, uh, and, I, and of course, I was thinking of Luke 24, you know, where Jesus told yeah. the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And of course, this is the premise of the whole story of God series is the one of the unique features of the Old Testament part is that all the volumes will be Christological or Christotelic in interpretation after considering the discrete message of the Old Testament. We're not going to go, we don't go there. We first of all read it as the original uh, audience heard it. It's, it's not as if there are prophecies of Jesus here or secret messages, but as you read the Old Testament, in the, especially in the light of the New Testament, you, you, you see, you know, that, that it talks about, it points, it points us to Jesus is probably the better way of saying it. And of course, an obvious example would be something like the Abrahamic Covenant, which uh, Paul in Galatians 3, as you well know, uh, says, ultimately is fulfilled in Jesus. And, uh, and so, um, so that's the first thing. The second thing I would say uh, that's related is that, uh, yeah, there's continuity and discontinuity between the Old and New Testament. And you can't simply say, read a story and say, go thou and do likewise, um, or don't do likewise. But, but on the other hand, um, I think we, as we identify with the various characters uh, and read it in the context of the whole canon, we can learn important things about how we should think and behave. Um, oh, there's so much, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking, I was thinking there of, say, reading Genesis 39, where, uh, where Joseph refuses the advantage of, the advances of Potiphar's wife, which is illustrative of what Proverbs teaches about avoiding the, the you know, a woman who approaches you. Yeah. And, uh, but Genesis 1 through 3 teaches us so much about the nature of God, about who we are 
created in the image of God. Um, and, um, and we learn about the nature of sin. Oh, there's so much, Scott. You're just, yeah, uh, I, as, I, I, as I said, as I said in a recent booklet that I wrote for the Our Daily Bread people on the Pentateuch as a whole, I said, reading the New Testament without recourse to, without reading the Old Testament is, and, and my father actually used to do this when we'd go to the movies when I was young. He'd never look at when the movie started. We'd, he'd just go and say the movie started was, we'd walk in and it was 15 minutes to the end. We'd watch the last 15 minutes of the movie. Then we'd stick around and watch it up to that point. And then he'd go, okay, we've seen this, let's go. And let me just tell you that if you just watch the last 15 minutes of a movie, it may be exciting, but you don't know what the heck is going on. <laughs> so, we so really, your dad, really, your dad really, did, your dad did this to you guys. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding you. We went to like a James Bond movie in the last 15 minutes. Very exciting. It actually ruins the beginning too. You know. Well, you know, happen. Trevor, you've just uh, you've just made some pretty strong remarks about some of the stuff that Andy Stanley's uh, getting in oh, trouble yeah, for. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I was very discouraged to hear that, and I hope he reconsiders what he said about Christians needing to unhitch themselves from the Old Testament. Now, there's a lot in the Old Testament that's difficult, and those are the types of things from uh, uh, some of those topics like divine violence and evolution, historicity, and sexuality I talk about in my forthcoming book, but, you know, the Old Testament is canon. It is yeah. 77% God's word. If you unhitch yourself from 77% of God's word, that's a big problem. <laughs> you know, I heard people immediately jump uh, uh, and start saying this is Marcion, and I thought, you know, I know enough about Andy Stanley and his background that this is not yeah. Marcion. Yeah. It's kind of a uh, radical dispensationalism, and and I've told yeah. people I grew up with this. I grew up being yeah. taught that the Old Testament is law, the New Testament is grace, and the implication was read the New Testament, don't worry about the Old Testament because when you get there, yeah. it's all it's full of dark and mean stuff. And and it was I grew up in dispensationalism. We all carried Schofield Bibles. We so yeah. so it wasn't that. Yeah. Now, uh, Tremper, I want to finish with, with personal uh, stuff. I didn't tell you about this, but this isn't going to be too personal. <laughs> Tremper, you're retired as a professor from all those great years at Westminster at Westmont. Um, tell us what you're doing. Sure. Thanks for asking, uh, Scott. Yeah, I taught the first uh, 18 years at Westminster in Philadelphia and the next 19 years in at Westmont, I often confuse those because they both begin with West. Yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I retired from the Gundry chair last June, um, a little early. I'm 65, um, at least for our generation. But Alice and I wanted to be closer to our kids and grandkids who are all on the East Coast. So, uh, and I also knew that my life, my professional life, could still be full if. Uh, if I relocated, Westmount very kindly named me Distinguished Scholar and Professor Emeritus, and I, I um, still have a good 
relationship with Westmont, which I highly recommend to people to consider uh, if they're thinking about a Christian college. Um, but yeah, we moved to Alexandria, Virginia, right outside of DC. Uh, two of my kids and their families are here in the area and the other one's down in Charlotte. So I'm writing, um, writing, editing. I'm actually doing a lot of traveling, lecturing. I think I've already actually taught four or five courses in an intensive manner this year since January oh. Oh. and going, going to Australia and New Zealand and August to give four more talks at four different institutions. So life is full. So I, I've tended to use redeployment rather than retirement. <laughs> as, a, as my You know, I, uh, <laughs> I don't think, I don't think too much about retirement. Uh, and it is, I, yeah. I was talking to someone yesterday. I said, old professors don't retire. They die. Uh, yeah, exactly. A right. lot of them right. just keep teaching. Um, and I, I was talking to a wonderful professor recently who uh, was uh, taught until eight, and taught the last course at 87. And wow. uh, yeah. I thought to myself, yeah. I don't know that I'll be teaching for 23 more years. But um, <laughs> um, in, in some well, ways, I, I, yeah, in some ways, when we get older, we're wiser and we have more to yeah. say, but we don't have quite as much ambition and energy right. to say it all. So I'm, I, I'm really looking forward to to your next books, uh, and I've read so Thanks. many of them over the years. So I, I'm I'm I'll, I'm just I'm following. See what's what's coming next. I really like what what's what's in the plans. Oh well, um, I, I've already mentioned the wrestling with the Old Testament book. Um, right now I'm. Um, uh, working on how to read Daniel for the series that um, that I've done since the late 80s, starting with how to read Psalms and yeah. uh, for IVP. And then I'm, um, I'm working on, a, and I don't know whether you'll appreciate this, but on a commentary on Revelation for oh, man. a series, a series that... Uh, it's called the Old Testament, the New Testament through Old Testament eyes. So I, that's my entree in there, and I got Who's, the I got first choice. So of course, if you're going to be an Old Testament person, you're going to choose Matthew, Hebrews, or Revelation. Since I've worked so much on Daniel over the years. Yeah. Well, I who's who's doing Daniel. this series, Tremper? This is this is Kriegel, uh, Andy okay. Lepoe. You know, yeah. you see with IVP. Yeah. In his retirement, he created this series and is working with. Kriegel. Oh yes. He did. And, uh, he uh, did one on Mark. Isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. the first one. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, you know, um, I've I'm convinced that the Book of Revelation. You know, um, I don't know how to say this other than that the dispensationalists captured the mind of evangelicalism on how to read the book of Revelation and how to create eschatology. And it's not that they captured everybody. I mean, but yeah. there was a compelling narrative at work in people like Charles Ryrie and J.D. Pentecost that comes into fruition with people like Hal Lindsey and Salem Kerban and then uh, yeah. Jerry Jink. Th that's a narrative that Everywhere I go, people think that that's, that's true. And I think to myself, what we really need is somebody to write on the book of Revelation that captures an alternative 
and just as compelling, if not better, narrative of life and mm-hmm. worldview and everything else. So uh, I'm really glad yeah. to hear that you're doing Revelation. This will be fun. Thanks. Yeah. And then a couple of publishers have approached me about uh, future projects, including one that uh, wants me to, well, they keep, they don't, they deny this, but I call it the end of life project, three volumes on on the Old Testament as history, the Old Testament as literature, and the Old Testament as theology. Those are the categories, not the titles. But yeah, uh, so I'm probably going to do that as well. And then another publisher has asked me to write a book on public policy and biblical interpretation on issues like what does the Bible tell us about immigration, about yeah, um, yeah. about you know um, welfare, about you know all these pressing questions. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm sort of plotting those out now. Too. You're going to need a second so, life. You're going to need another yeah. 60, 65 years yeah. to write all these things. Yeah, so that's yeah. really good. Well, yeah, Tremper, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on this podcast. And I want Thank to express know. once again, publicly, how much I've learned from you and how much I've appreciated your Christian witness and scholarship over the years, uh, a witness and scholarship that is as academic as it is useful for the church. And uh, there, we need more people like you, brother. Well, thank you. And I, it's, uh, I very much appreciate your work too in, well, in the same term. So, so you keep it up too, Scott. I appreciate <laughs> it very much. All right. And we close always with Go Cubs. <laughs> you had to get that in. That's good. That's good. <laughs> okay. We will leave right, that for right. a tease for a future episode. Maybe we have you back on, Trimper. So thanks again for joining us, man. We enjoyed having you today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Great. And thank you, our listeners, for joining us again. Um, I want to just encourage you that, like Trimper talked about, don't get caught going to the end of the movie without watching the rest of it because it is a story, (laughs) and it is a great story that develops uh, from the very beginning with Genesis. So we're grateful that you hopefully got some different insights and perspectives uh, to deepen your well on Genesis. And uh, we look forward to continue to be with us as we'll, um, you know, be continuing continuing these conversations. So we look forward to be with you next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. 